Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, William? I was good right up until just before we started this and you've knocked back my uh, idea of growing out of Spencer's sand. I think I think I can pull it off. I, I don't think anyone can pull off a goatee. The only people that choose to put that kind of facial hair and stick it to their face are people of questionable social standing or people that participate in illicit activities often involving children. Well, like and... 90s bad guys pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, but they sw- smoked sweet cigars and stuff as well. True. Real baggy, like, uh, l- well, not linen, but uh, like silk shirts. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, but that was like the Fast and the Furious bad guy. Yeah, is that uh, not is that not the kind of aura that I give off? Uh, yeah, skinny pencil head. That is yeah exactly what you give off. All right, uh, we have got championship weekend, so we've got a massive show. Really excited about it. Um, we said we're going to bring more energy because we're a bit flat on the on the recap episode uh, on on Sunday. So we want to make sure that we're not that today, and I feel like we're both heaps less hungover which is a nice place to be, and that really helps. It's a good sign on a Wednesday as well. As I'm... I mean, I'm on school holidays. Like, I have really, like, got to the point where I'm three days in. I'm, the, like, the body's really starting to relax. Uh, I'm starting to spend more time going, oh, you know what? Those dishes took me an hour, and I don't care. I'm more than okay with that. Yeah, so, you're, you're six beers in. I think we're operating on different wavelengths at the moment. <laughs> Hardwired and stressed. Okay, before we do get into um, all our news and all our game previews, there's a couple of things that are just really grinding my gears at the moment. Um, and the first one, not football related, the amount of ads on YouTube or my Facebook feed videos. Get rid of those fucking ads. If I want to watch a hilarious Jimmy Carr sketch, I want to do it without hearing about some sort of protein powder or some numpty telling me that I should get an Alexa Google fucking something. Gee, I sound super old there. But I don't want that in my life. I don't need that. Yeah, no, I I do tend to agree. So uh, the YouTube stuff, I put a lot of Peppa Pig on for the little one. Mm. And it's like you you watch the Peppa Pig channel or whatever, every 30 seconds, there's a 30-second ad. I'm like, what what is this shit? Firstly, agree. And also even ESPN. Like you have the ESPN streaming service where you can just watch the games. Mm -hmm. And they're not so bad playing them through, but whenever you start up a new game that you want to go into it plays an ad it plays whatever it is i think it's like fitbit at the moment fitbit if you want to sponsor us all about it until then fucking cut it out because i'm having issues like with the internet and i'll have to refresh my shit and then i get the fitbit ad again and then i refresh and i get the fitbit ad and within like 20 minutes i've seen the fitbit ad fucking 30 times and so and you only own seven of them as well well exactly right now we know what Rhea's getting for christmas so (laughs) Didn't even mean to buy it. The other thing that has pissed me off this week, and I didn't want to start on a negative, but Florida, this is football related, Florida losing to LSU at home. LSU are a three-win team. Florida drop in the college football rankings a grand total of one spot to number six. Get fucked. This college football playoff continues to be an absolute diabolical mess. They are disinterested and, you know, not even the idea of exploring other aspects of making this decision around the playoff. Now, I'm not saying go to computer, but you've you've got a whole bunch of advanced analytics and other measurements and things like that, whether it's um, S&P Plus or SP Plus, I uh, can't remember the guy who runs that. Or you've got the FEI measurement. There's a whole bunch of different stuff that you could incorporate as part of your uh, analysis into who the best teams are. But not only, like that that's one aspect of it. The second thing is they are staunch, staunch defenders of being eye test only. And they take that, you know, very seriously. And they're very proud of that. But it is stubborn and it is pathetic. And all of a sudden you get a situation like this where Florida 
who were incredibly disappointing on the weekend. And you set a precedent. If you lose in the top 10 to an unranked team, a three-win unranked team at home with a third-string quarterback, true freshman, you don't drop one spot. You drop outside the top 10. That has been the precedent that's been set for years now. And all of a sudden, this looks like continued SEC bias. And I don't want to be the guy. Like, I hate, I feel like I rag on the SEC all the time. Oh, it's the number one conference in football. And I try and stay impartial, as impartial as I possibly can. But it's this kind of crap that makes people dislike that conference even more and feel like they're favoured. So that has really wound me up. No, absolutely. And fair enough too. And it's very political play here. So in the AP poll, uh, completely separate to this, they did drop five spots. They dropped outside the top 10. They went to 11. And that feels about right. On the back of that sort of loss, that's what they get. In the college football playoff, they haven't. And it's very deliberate because they're kind of giving themselves a bit of leeway for what may play out in the SEC Championship. So if Florida does somehow manage to knock over Alabama... It's a hell of a lot easier to say, well, Alabama need to be in because they've been the best team all year. We've got to take the SEC champ. So, and they're only moving up from, what is it, seven? That's not mm. so bad. We can kind of we can keep them both in there. So it's very political play to, to say if that is happening, it makes sense. It's a lot harder for Florida to win and then come in from 11 and jump over the top of everyone. If they don't have to do that, if they just go in as an SEC champ, it certainly becomes a lot easier for them. So, look, I'm with you. It's shit. They just kind of need to let it play out on the field and not try and look ahead and back things around what they want to see at that point in time. But that's exactly what they're doing. And just for comparison's sake, let's say the team that was one spot or two spots above them, Ohio State, if they lost to a three-win team, I'm just going to pick a random three-win Big Ten team out of thin air. Rutgers, they're currently three and five. If Ohio State on the weekend lost to Rutgers, do you think that they're dropping to number six? No, they're getting fucking torched. They're getting nuked to the sun. There is no way that that would occur, even though, you know, the Big Ten is the most prestigious conference and it's the biggest money maker. It fucking doesn't matter. And this continues to emphasize this lack of i know there's no parity in college football and that's part of the reason why we love it but there's got to be some sort of balance here and we're not seeing it at all really disappointing all right shit we've come in hot let's keep this bad boy moving though because we've got a bit of news to get to so let's do that Gus Malzahn fired at Auburn. They came up with $21.7 million to buy him out of his contract. He is curtains for the Tigers. I mean, he's been on the hot seat for a while. In fact, if anything, this was kind of the coolest his hot seat has been. Didn't really matter. He couldn't last. Who are the names surrounding that Auburn Tigers job? So from what I've seen, it looks like Hugh Freeze is at the top of the list at the moment. There's also been Steve Sarkeesian mentioned and even Lane Kiffin, which is an interesting one out of left field to make that jump across straight away. Don't think that's happening, but Hugh Freeze seems to be the top man for the gig at the moment. I like that these SEC boosters are not letting a tiny little global pandemic get in the way of 20 million US dollars. More coaching news. Lovey Smith is out at Illinois. What does that mean? I don't know. Hashtag. Who was someone started a hashtag like Urban Meyer to Illinois? I liked that, <laughs> but uh, I don't think that one's going to happen. That is good. No, I mean I'm a big Lovey Smith fan. Being a Chicago fan in the pros, he did his best work at Chicago. Unfortunately, since then it hasn't been great. He hasn't turned out a winning season in Illinois. They haven't had one in a long time. So I think they do need to go in a new direction, find someone fresh, and. Try and get something going there. Mackenzie Milton, the all-time UCF quarterback from Hawaii, busted his leg into a million different pieces um, a couple of seasons ago, has transferred, and, and that his name has been in the transfer portal for a while, but he picks Florida State. This one seems like an interesting one for a guy with only one year of eligibility left. Yeah, it's a great storyline. I think when you and I were talking about this one, you mentioned culture. You mentioned how UFC had a good culture, a winning culture, and Florida State do not seem to have that at the moment. So I like it as a fit there because you want to get that that head position right. So even if he's not able to get up and play, I really hope he is because he was a baller when he was at UCF. It would be great to see him get out back out in the field. It's a great spot to be able to do that. 
even if he's not, he's going to have a positive impact in that room. So I think this is a great spot for both parties. Washington doesn't have enough players to play in the Pac-12 championship game. So a three and two, that's right, a three win, two loss Oregon team slot in and take their place to face USC in the Coliseum on the weekend. Is this one of the, like, with all the precedents around college football, is this one where you just nuke the um, the divisions within the conference, like the North and the South, and you just pick the next best team, either by record or by eye test, something? I don't know. Do you pick Colorado? Like, Oregon are just not the fit. I don't know. Do you take Utah, who are probably the hottest team outside of USC at them? I don't know. I don't know what you do, but Oregon feels like an odd fit. I'll tell you what you do do in this one. You scratch it from the Pac-12 record books and you do not count it as a proper Pac-12 champion. That's USC will because it's been tough sledding for them recently. National signing day tomorrow. Uh, now, this is the early signing day. Uh, historically, it was always in February and there still is a signing day in February, but they introduced this December one, which is which has now attracted more attention and more players are looking to sign early or so-called early. So they're going to do that. So they'll sign their letters of intent tomorrow uh, and that'll be within the next few hours. In fact, before you even listen to this, probably. Um, and that will shape college football. Alabama currently sits at number one in the recruiting class ranking surprise surprise yes surprise surprise i just want to go back to a point that you made on the news there i think at our end of season uh, episode last year i made a bold prediction that we would have a we would have a headline washington pull out of pac-12 championship game due to not being able to field enough players and are replaced by three and two uh oregon i think i made that call I don't think you did. No, I don't, I don't think I did. But just, happened. if you think, if we were to take that statement and put it at the end of last <laughs> year and just throw it out the world there, how fucking ridiculous would have that sounded? Where now it's just kind of like, yeah, that's that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if you put that money, I mean, there probably wouldn't be a bookie. They would, someone would write something up for that, but that would be worth <laughs> squillions. I'd hope. Yeah. I really would hope. <laughs> like five games. Anyway, um, that brings us... Is there any other news that you need to get to or want to get off your chest? No, I want to get into these conference previews, baby. All right, let's do it. Now, the first thing before we get into any of the games is... I feel like there's danger that these games are all going to be blowouts. And that's kind of what I'm predicting. So before we even get into it, as a betting man, which I'm not... Take the favourite, minus the points in all of the games except one of the of the Power 5. So we'll start with the Power 5. Take the favourites, minus the points in all those games. There's only one exception to that, and I'll discuss that in a second. The first game that we start with is not going to be that exception, and this is the Big 12, Iowa State and Oklahoma. Iowa State playing in their first Big 12 championship game. So I hope they have a good one. You want them to. Matt Campbell, Brock Purdy have been working towards this for a long time. And and that's what Matt Campbell was hoping for. And the expectation now around Iowa State is that he pushes and challenges. And he has done that. I believe, though, that this game is going to be a whole bunch of small advantages most of which sit in the Oklahoma Sooners camp. The difference in this game is going to be small, uh, but I think when you add up the sum of all those parts, I think you're going to get an Oklahoma team that covers pretty comfortably. I think Oklahoma are actually a top five team at the moment. Yeah, they lost some games early. They don't deserve to be in the program uh, in the playoff. But if you look at all those advanced metrics, SP+, the FEI, um, they're all predictive measures of efficiency and performance. Oklahoma far outrank Iowa State. So in that space, I'm giving the advantage to Oklahoma. The eyeball test suggests that Oklahoma is really starting to heat up. They're really starting to hit their stride. Spencer Rattler turning the ball over far less. The defense has been much improved since Ronnie Perkins has returned after his suspension at midseason. Considering these two teams have already played, it was a close 37-30 to win by the Clones. 
But the Sooners led for much of the fourth quarter. The personnel and experience is better for the Sooners. The players have changed a fraction, again, giving the advantage to the Sooners. And lastly, and this is going to be a bit of a recurring theme here, it's really hard to beat the same team twice in the same season. The NFL struggles with that all the time, as we see in division opponents, especially when they're so close. This, again, gives a slight edge to Oklahoma. Considering how up and down Brock Purdy has been, 34 points a game, which is what the clones have been averaging, is not going to be enough. I'm taking Oklahoma at minus about five and a half, I think I'm seeing at the moment. Yes. No, that is it. Minus six, I think it's in too. So that's all very fair comments that you have there, mate. I think uh, you're probably talking down Iowa State a little bit on the back half of the season. Uh, I, I think that they have been super impressive. And like I agree with you 100%. This Oklahoma team is rolling at the moment. They're looking really good. They are a different team to the one that lost in Ames. And, that you know, you've got to give them credit for that. And then when you look at it in a whole bunch of other lenses, so that game was played in Ames. Oklahoma probably should have won it. Like they were leading in the yeah. fourth. They yeah. were pretty bad at that time on the road. <laughs> And they still almost, like, they, they probably should have got the job done. Uh, now we're, we're talking about an Iowa State team that does need to play on a neutral field this time and is coming up against a much better Oklahoma unit. But that said, this Iowa team, uh, Iowa State team, I think has played their best game last week as well. Their, their demolishing effort of West Virginia was outstanding and they're hitting their straps as well I think this is certainly not going to be a whitewash yes I, I think Oklahoma should be favorites in this matchup and and that they've got every chance but I think Iowa State and the way that Matt Campbell has this unit operating with Brock Purdy under center he's an above average quarterback he hasn't stepped up to be an elite playmaker that we thought he might be able to do he hasn't been that guy this year but he is good he's one of the better quarterbacks in in the Big 12. Brees Hall is probably the best running back. And and that, for me, is where this game is going to be decided. So in their first matchup, I think he went for uh, 140 yards and two scores, and that was enough to get it done. Outside of that game, Oklahoma have kept teams under rushing to under 80 yards a game on average as a unit. So for me, it's that matchup there. The Oklahoma State... Uh, sorry, Oklahoma... Run Jeez, defense. You're carried away here, mate. Oklahoma State yeah. are not in this game. Certainly not. <laughs> and the Iowa State run, like uh, Brees Hall and what he can deliver there, I, I think that's where this one is won and lost. And I, I certainly agree 100% with a lot of the logic around why Oklahoma should be favorites coming into this game. They are red hot. They've been playing really well. They're playing better now than when they lost first time. But I'm not willing to sit back and say that this one's a foregone conclusion because Iowa State are also travelling. They are trending in the right direction. They're a better team than when they first played this game too. So for me, I'm probably taking the points in this. I think Oklahoma win, but I think that uh, the clones will cover. How much of an impact does familiarity in a championship game have? Now, speaking to someone who hasn't played in many grand finals until you're um later years i suppose to the point where you should probably be jumping on a horse and riding into the sunset in terms of an afl uh, football career but when you played in your first grand final was it a nerve-wracking moment that you might expect with iowa state or was it something that you think you know it doesn't really have too much of an impact considering oklahoma's won the last four those players are just used to winning the Big 12 Championship. Does that have any bearing on the outcome or the way that, get, that players settle into this or, or anything along that um, manner that could impact the performance of players, particularly early in the game? Look, I think that's a really good point that you bring up around that whole mentality thing. I know our first grand final that we made after a, a long hiatus, so like my whole career, having never getting through and then finally getting in and making that berth, we got fucking smacked in the mouth. Like, we were around the marks. We are probably, uh, you know, second to this team all year, but it was tight. Like, we'd beaten them during the year. This game, they just put it on us, and we lost by over 10 goal, and we just weren't ready for the moment. Like, it, it was quite clear that as, as a unit, we weren't ready for it. We weren't up to it. After that, the ones we, we learned from that, and then in our grand finals, we were much better, the, the next two that we went on to win. So I think that's a really good point that you raise about Iowa State and this moment being the biggest for all of these college kids' careers, where on the Oklahoma side, you're right, this is 
the fifth biggest game of their career, given, <laughs> well, just the fact that they've been in them before and then they've been on to uh, college football semifinals, it's, it's certainly uh, an imbalance there. So I, I really like that statement. Okay, let's head across to the SEC. Now, normally, uh, like most people in the world, you kind of get sick of the same teams winning, of which Alabama and Florida in this game. Alabama have been so successful for so long. But based on my rant at the start of this particular podcast, I'm going to lean into Alabama here. I'm okay with Alabama winning. I was going to say that the pressure is fully off of the Gators in this one because they can't make the playoffs theoretically, according to that loss, but based on where they've come out in the rankings, they're still a shot. They are four quarters away from making the playoff, you would suggest. If they can beat Alabama, they'll jump everybody and slot in. Um, But I don't think it really matters. I don't actually think it matters what Florida's team, both offense or defense, does here. I think Alabama is way, way too powerful. Um, What are your thoughts on Florida's chances, and do they actually have any? I do not believe so, no. Do you, do you know how hard it is to be the number one team in the nation and on the also cover the spread that is set for your team seven weeks in a row? That's how well this fucking Alabama unit is playing. Like, it doesn't matter what number Vegas throws at them to say, hey, they're coming up against this SEC team. Let's make it 35. They'll blow that out. And they've done that almost every game this season. It is nuts how well this team is playing and how they are just beating the shit out of everyone that they play. And, and I don't see that any different here, especially after the back of the what we've seen with Florida. Like, the number 17 points here doesn't feel like enough to me. No. From what we've seen on both sides of the ball for Alabama, yeah, they, they'll, they'll allow a, a few scores to Florida, certainly. Florida's a really good offense. Florida's a good unit. offense. Right. Kyle Trask is a player. Uh, they've got some weapons. Kadarius Tony, uh, Kyle Pitts. Well, I don't know if Kyle Pitts is playing in this game. He didn't play last week, so um, I haven't heard anything about his status, about whether he's going to play, but he's such a big playmaker for them. So if he's not going, that 17 points won't even be close. Correct. And, and these are big question marks. Alabama just don't have it. They lost Jalen Waddell, who was consensus top five receiver in the nation. Did not miss a beat. They've had dudes stepping up and making plays. (laughs) Uh, I like, there was one bloke, I can't even remember his name, but I saw the tweet that were, and the highlight that showed uh, one of the Alabama receivers making a play, scoring a touchdown. And it was just, these guys have better receivers that you've never heard of that are better than your favorite team's starting wideout crew. Like, it's just, that's where they're at. They are nuts. And I don't see it changing here. So I think you're right. Alabama are going to continue to roll. This is team is as impressive as we've seen at the college level. Like They're at that LSU level last year, the way that they're playing. And I think they handle this one comfortably. Yes, I think the, the next level of teams that they're going to be coming up against will be an intriguing matchup. But as for Florida being in that tier, certainly not the case. Yeah, I think it's... Just coming back to some of those receivers, Devonta Smith, John Mechie uh, will kind of lead the charge at that receiver position. And how do you, I guess the question is, how does Florida's defense, if they do have any chance, which I don't really believe they do, but how do you get them off schedule? And it's probably getting pressure on Mac Jones. But the issue that you're going to come up across in very layman's terms for our Australians out there, if you go blitz heavy, you're bringing extra numbers after the quarterback. You're therefore deliberately leaving Devonta Smith, arguably, well, I think probably the best true wide receiver in the country. Yes, he's undersized. Yes, he's a bit skinny, but he's a crafty route runner. He isn't the SEC all-time wide receiver record holder for no reason. Um, You've got John Mechie, who is lighting it up. And you've got Najee Harris out of the backfield, who offers something. He's not a super receiver by any means, um, but he will offer. And you're leaving these guys one-on-one. Yeah, cool. You're gonna you're gonna leave a cornerback one on one against Devonta Smith. See you later. You're gonna leave. You're gonna try and put a linebacker on Najee Harris, and give him space to one side of the field and expect him to make a tackle. That's not gonna hold up. Florida's secondary does not have the players to win those matchups. They might be able to throw shoes okay, but they're not gonna be able to you know, pick off those balls. So then, so then, what's your other option? You you try and get home with three or four guys. And in this 3-4 defense, that leaves Ventral Miller, Brenton Cox, or Zach Carter to get home. 
They've all got about four sacks on the year each, but they don't have that one killer off the edge or that big disruptor in the middle of the, you know, on the nose or at that D tackle position that can just create chaos for Mac Jones consistently. And I think the Alabama machine cruises on as a result. Yeah, the other components that you didn't mention in there, Alabama's offensive line will be the best offensive line unit that Florida's come up against. They are mm-hmm. elite. They are awesome at both pass protection and allowing Najee Harris holes the size of barn doors that you can just barrel on through, and he has been doing to great effect. So they have that going for them. And the coaching staff. Like this offensive coaching yeah. stuff, that's been the biggest shift for mine from Alabama, from the Alabama of old to what we see now. Their offensive play calling is fucking right up there. That they are dialing things up and getting their playmakers well, Sarkeesian, in space. Sarkeesian isn't a head coaching prospect for no reason. He's a former head man at USC as well, and things didn't work out there. But like, he's good. He's going to get another opportunity, maybe at Alabama if if bloody. St. Nick decides to kick the bucket here at some stage. All right, let's move across to the ACC. So we're taking Alabama minus the points there. I mean, yeah. I am. Yep, yep, I'm with yep. you. Okay, ACC, Clemson and Notre Dame. Now, this one potentially gears up to be the biggest matchup, probably the most interesting storyline due to the lead-in from the game earlier in the year, which was probably, what, one of the top two or three games on the season so far. But again, you've got a situation where Notre Dame are looking to beat the same team twice in the same year. Trevor Lawrence will be back. DJ Ungalale, um was good. In fact, fantastic in this game. Threw for over 400, through touchdowns. But I think Lawrence just adds that poise, leadership, a little bit of control that, that will see the Tigers through. Um Clemson also get James Skowski back at linebacker and they trust that guy. He's like a grown man at linebacker and he makes all the calls, makes all the checks, gets everyone lined up and that's an underrated thing. Um, I trust the Clemson coaching staff. In fact, all the same points that I made earlier in the year, my thoughts haven't really changed. I think Clemson will tighten up a little bit defensively. I think the coaching staff is better. Trevor Lawrence is better. And I, don't, I really don't see, like, same way, I don't really see a world in which Notre Dame win this one this, for a second time. And if they are going to do that, they can't do it the same way. I think Notre Dame are going to have to go so far out of tendency to just shock Clemson a little bit. And the way that I see they do that, allow Ian Book to open it up, take shots early. Hopefully you can make some plays down the field and allow that passing game to set up the run because that's what you want to get to, um, you know, and, and control the clock with a really good defense. And hopefully they can hold on. But I don't see it. I think Clemson are going to roll in this one. Yeah, okay. I mean, you've given the blueprint to what Notre Dame need to do, and I think they've got the tools to achieve that. I think everyone, Absolutely. everyone is expecting. They? Well, everyone's expecting Trevor Lawrence to come in as this white knight and Clemson to just completely destroy yeah. Notre Dame. I, I can imagine him as a white knight. Actually, it is. It's a good picture. It's a good mental <laughs> picture up on a big horse and hair's kind of like flowing with the sun behind him. It's it's a whole yeah. thing, but. I think that Notre Dame is copping way too much disrespect here. They've been an awesome unit this year, and they're a team that's been continually getting better themselves as well. There's a bit of a trend here about these guys that are playing at the pointy end. They are playing their best football now, and that's really important. Ian Book has got better with every week that's been played, and I think it's given them that option to be able to get that run game going because that's what they rely on. They need Kyron Williams to have a big day to win this game. I think that they're in a position to be able to do this. What I really like about this game, so at the moment Clemson 10.5 point favourites, I really like Notre Dame to cover that because they're not only just fighting to win this game, they need it close. Like they want, they're, they're trying to keep it within that 10.5. Like some teams, you know, will kind of drop, drop the bucket and let it go a little bit and it doesn't matter. These guys are playing for style points as much as anything because with a loss, they can still get in. So they're going to be fighting for every inch 
throughout this entire game, knowing that a, a spot in the top four is on the line. And, and I think that they're a good enough to, a team to make this close. Yes, Clemson's awesome. They are across the board, a really good team. Their coaching is amazing. I'm 100% with you here, but I like Notre Dame to cover in this one purely based on the fact that they know what's on the line. They have the talent to be able to achieve that. And I think that it can get done here. Interesting. Uh, so you're picking Clemson to win? Clemson to win. Notre Dame plus the points. Yes. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any great further takes on earlier in the year, which is probably pretty average analysis by me. But if, Cle- if Notre Dame can do it again, hey, credit to them. I just... Don't think it's going to happen this time around. In the Big Ten, Ohio... Well, let's start that again. Ohio, not Ohio, Ohio State and Northwestern. You're going to have to do this one, Will, because I am not enamored by Ohio State in any means, but there's no way Northwestern can score enough points or muddy this up so badly that they can even keep it close. It's going to be one-sided. Justin Fields will make enough plays with Garrett Wilson, Master Teague, at running back, they'll beat the Wildcats easily. I can't see a world in which Northwestern, even remotely, like this could be done at quarter time. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm on the same page with you here. I see Ohio State running away with this one. There's been a lot of fanfare about this Ohio State unit and whether they're deserved of a shot going in to the playoffs on the back of the six games that they're going to have played in a Big Ten championship. I think they put that all to bed with this effort. I think we are going to see uh, an impressive performance throughout from them. They're going to be, in a similar vein to what I was saying about uh, Notre Dame, they're going to be putting on style points right down the stretch in this one. I love Northwestern this year. Like, I've been on them. You know I've been big on the, this team all year. They've been fun. You do love just like a stout defense, which is very not you when you're playing NCAA as well. Absolutely, like, it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm a growing man. I'm, I'm kind of changing with old age. Not for the better either, I'm finding in most aspects. But uh, this Northwestern team has been uh, one that I've enjoyed to watch. You are spot on. They struggle to score points. Like They're, they're not going to be able to put up more than 21 points against this Ohio State team. Or anyone. Anyone. Well, yeah, I mean, 28 against Rutgers, so what? <laughs> um <laughs> This Ohio State team is at another level for that. But the, the issue that they're going to have is that this is definitely the best offensive unit that they've played. So, yes, they were able to blanket uh, Wisconsin team, and they did a, an excellent job of cracking down and not letting them get off on the run, and then Graham Mertz not being able to beat them. But that hasn't well, aged particularly well. Absolutely. Like, Wisconsin and, and it's exactly better. right. Like, Ohio State aren't a one-dimensional run-heavy team. They can run all over your ass, don't get me wrong, but that's not their MO. They are a balanced attack that can get things done. Chris Olave on the outside is an awesome receiver who I think is probably flying under the radar a little bit, but I think this is a big spot for him to kind of blow up and have a big day. I'm I'm predicting to see that. Yeah, I mean, he's like a top five or six receiver in the draft predicted receiver in the draft next year chris olave like he's a big dude he can run um he's got some skills yeah and i think the other one is justin fields at quarterback like people seem to be kind of a little bit off him i know you're even starting to to fall off the wagon a little bit yeah i need to see something like here's their opportunity show me something show me something bo nick i mean justin fields (laughs) oh he's not that bad No, and I think you're right, but I think you are going to see it. He is an excellent talent. They're going to have a big day and cruise to a big victory in this one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but I don't think that's because I think Ohio State's that great. I think it's because uh, they just don't rate Northwestern. All right, let's head into the Pac-12 for the last of our Power 5 championship games. Oregon, strangely enough, versus USC. Give me the Ducks. This, my friend, is my chaos game of the week. Should probably get a sound ready for that. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, I do just want to watch the world burn. And I think USC cannot keep doing this. They cannot. They have lived on the edge for too long. And this is the week that it comes back to bite them. I think Mario Cristobal is probably a better coach than Clay Helton. I mean, that's up for debate. Um... And I just think that the Ducks coming into this game, they've had a bad probably month 
as a whole. Uh, and I just see a situation here where all the pressure's off them. They come in completely by surprise. Tyler Shuck's been okay. Um, they've got Dyer running back who hopefully will be able to provide something out of the backfield more than Malapai for USC. And I'll, I'll get to the running game in a second. I think the big matchup to watch in this one, Drake London. He is a fantastic wide receiver. I think he's a sophomore, but he is going to be an absolute unit at the next level. He's a big possession type guy. Scored an unbelievable touchdown against UCLA last week, just breaking tackles all over the place. And this Oregon back end has been really, really disappointing, both in coverage and ta rallying and, ta and tackling as well. Keaton Slovis, is, if he has time, and there's no reason to think that he won't, will be able to get the ball to these guys. And I think Drake London is set to to go off. So keep an eye on him. Neither running game has set the world on fire as I come back to that. I think both will be irrelevant. Uh, Dyer's going to have an impact in the passing game, but certainly won't get off the leash. Malapai has been okay between the tackles, but certainly isn't going to bust big runs. He's not that explosive home run hitter. So I'm going to take the Ducks. I don't really have too many other reasons. I mean, most of the time I just spent there was pumping up the... Uh, pumping up the USC offense, but I don't know why. It's just, it seems like an odd one. And I think USC's run of luck just comes to an end here. The only other player I'll mention is Drake Jackson on the edge for, um, for USC. I think he's fantastic. He'll ruin game plans, particularly against the run. So he's a really, really good piece. Watch out for number 99 for the Trojans. Yeah, okay. I mean, I do not agree with you here. I like USC in this one big time. I understand where you're coming from. It's a very college football move to have a team like Oregon, who doesn't deserve to be in this spot, come in after two pretty poor losses to Oregon State and Cal. Like, that's that's not good form. Come in against an undefeated USC team and win. Like, it, it, that's just... It's very 2020. It's very college football. So I, I like the logic there. It's at home for USC. Like, like yeah, it's, it's at the Coliseum, but it's going to be an empty Coliseum. They kind of plays there. It feels weird. So many things. So yeah. many things. Nah, I'm, I'm taking USC here, mate. This is a solid USC team. Yes, they are doing it the tough way every fucking time. But I like a team who knows how to win. I like a horse that knows when to put its fucking head down, get across the line, and get the job done. And that's what this USC team has done this year. I think now there's a difference between like putting your head down and putting your foot down at the right time and grinding it out. There's also a difference between that and bucking your jockey off and he does a cartwheel on the grass and then magically ends up back in the saddle and jogs to a victory. That just doesn't happen. And, and the games against Arizona State, you know, where they were 99% chance of losing and then they come back and win that one. Even last week against UCLA, they possibly, you know, they're they a big kick return away from losing that. I just... It, it, <laughs> This luck can't continue, and it doesn't continue in any form of sports. Um, so it, uh, look, it'll be I, up and down. It should be really entertaining, though. I, I agree with you. I just don't think they're going to need that luck. This Oregon team is, that is not a that good. <laughs> they, they are not that good. They, yeah. I think they've really been hit by some of the opt-outs that they had in the off-season and then some of the other illness-related stuff that's happened there has yeah, really hurt injuries. Yeah, the, the depth of this outfit, and that's, that's killed them. And then the heads dropped a little bit on the back of the big civil war or for rivalry Not game formerly war, known as civil war. Or whatever they're calling it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, like th this Oregon team is not the ones that to get this job done. USC, on the other hand, Keaton Slovis, uh, Brew McCoy, uh, Armin Russ and Brown, Drake yeah, London, as you mentioned. Yeah. Some All big dudes. That's what would concern me with that Oregon back end is there's some big bodies. Armin Russ, St. Brown, Drake London. Ooh, Tyler yeah, Vaughn. A lot of them. Yeah. Like, USC are a track team like and mixed with a volleyball team almost. They've got dudes, and, and that's how they should be. This is USC football program we're talking about. I really like this pass offense. Like, they go – they're airing it out. That's what they're running at the moment. They're, they're ranked somewhere in the hundreds running the ball. Uh, it, it's just not what they're trying to do. Yeah, so, so I'm taking USC in there. <laughs> I'm taking USC. Nah, I'll stick the duck. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, for mine, I like USC. I think they do it easy. 
so, and so you're taking five favourites here in the championship games. No, yes. well, so well, it depends. Are we taking points? So like, I had Iowa uh, not State. against the spread. I'm just talking out right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm taking outright the favourites, but I'm taking the points in. What would you get if you multied all those together? Because that's not going to happen. We know what college football does, and I don't think you get five favourites in the Power Five winning. Uh, I did look at this. It was about five bucks. I'd I'd get something else now. All right, let's head to the group of five matchups. We'll start in the American. Tulsa versus Cincinnati. This game should have been played last weekend, but got cancelled. As a result of that, this became the championship game. Both teams are 6-0 in conference. The issue that I have with Cincinnati, they haven't played since the 21st of November. Now, that is a long, long, long time ago. They're going to be up to like a month before they play again. So potentially a slow start um, for the Bear Kittens. Uh, Cincy have done things far more comfortably than what Tulsa have in like matchups. But I don't know. Tulsa can score. Desmond Ridd is a good quarterback. The Cincinnati defense, I think, controls it. And when you have had big layoffs, defense generally... Providing they can stick tackles, which there's no reason to think they can't. As long as the tackling's okay, they will make up for some of the, that slow start on offense, which we have seen before uh, with these teams that have big layoffs. Is If the defense can hang around, eventually the offense will come good. But can Cincinnati hold on long enough against a Tulsa offense that's going pretty well at the moment to be able to allow Desmond Ritter and his boys to to really start to stretch their legs and, and mo- start moving the ball more consistently. Um, again, not a gambling man. I would be taking the under in this. I don't know where it actually sits, but I could see a bit of a, a more low-scoring affair here. Okay. I mean, and I expect low-scoring on account of Cincinnati's elite defense, but I think that they're going to put up points and they're going to win this one comfortably. This Cincinnati team is the best team in the American by a wide margin. They have been all year. They've been ranked inside the top 10 for the better half of the year as well. And they deserve it. This unit has just beaten the pants off of everyone that they've come up against. They haven't really been challenged, and I can't see any world where Tulsa are able to do it. This Tulsa team is plucky, yes. They're they're kind of a challenger, and, and they can ruffle a few feathers, but this Cincinnati team is much better than any other group of five team, in my opinion. I think they deserve to be in the top 10 they should be challenging even for a playoff spot and that's what I really like about them in this one too they're going to be motivated to put it on like there's a bit of a sense uh, a theme you can sense from my picks here it's teams that are motivated to go on to bigger things and yeah, I see Tulsa that are motivated as well they're gonna be I mean, motivated they are, to win but they're motivated to win they're motivated to win this championship that's it this Cincinnati team don't want to just win this championship. Yes, they're trying to do that, but this is a means to the end, to an end for them. They want to win this, and they not only want to win it, but they want to win big. But does that put undue pressure on the team then, that they're like, oh, we're not winning by 21, and they start pressing and start forcing, and all of a sudden it gets a bit tense, and they, they become very outcome-driven rather than process-driven? Because if they stay with the process, I think you're 100% correct. I think Cincinnati is a far better team. Their defense will allow their offense to score by putting them in good field position. They can run the ball effectively. Um, They mix in the run and the pass well. And they're dangerous inside the red zone, which is always really important in terms of finishing and putting on touchdowns rather than field goals, which is critical. But, you know, when you start looking at outcomes rather than just following that process, you can get caught forcing a little bit and you don't want to be in that space. They just need to relax, let hang loose and let it happen and it will. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's a belief thing. These guys believe that they are a much better unit than Tulsa and that they believe that they deserve better and, and they're going to play towards that. So I think they win comfortably and, and do a bit of damage here. Okay, let's get on to Conference USA, UAB and Marshall. Now, I have been on Marshall all year as they drop one game and fall out of the rankings completely. Um, But Marshall football, based on one of the top defenses in the country, Um, you got a freshman quarterback 
from Florida leading the the herd there. And then UAB, who obviously had a fantastic season last year, probably not in the limelight quite as much this year. Um, but what's your take on the herd and the Blazers? Look, this is one I certainly think is going to be a lot closer than some people might predict. So you're right, Marshall have been excellent all year, except for last week. And that's not the time to be tripping up. This is not when you want the trend arrow to be pointing down and for question marks to be raised, especially this year when we know a lot of this is not necessarily just due to an off week, but it's about personnel availability and the depth being tested because you not only have injuries that you need to worry about, you've got COVID issues. And it's not just people sick, but it's people you know associating with and then being out and unavailable for that, which makes it really rough. So for them to have the result that they had last week has me really concerned. And like I'm, I'm not, not touching this one with a 10-foot pole in a betting sense because I believe Marshall are a betting team. But on the back of that, awful awful loss in their last game oh, how could right. you really laying it on thick there aren't you but it was it, it was a tr- like it was just so out of character for this team that has been fantastic this year uh their quarterback um you'll have to remind me his name had Wells. a stinker where he, he threw like four picks he'd thrown one yeah, on the year yeah grant wells which, which is just nuts so th- there's something not quite up there uh, and that has me a little bit a little bit uh, worried, but I don't know. For, if I had no, to pick a winner, I, I, I'd stick with Marshall, but not with any great confidence. Yeah, Marshall comfortably. And look for Brennan Knox to have a big game in the running game as well. Speaking of big running games, Buffalo and Ball State as we head to the MAC Championship game. Now, Ball State coming off that crazy finish against uh, Western Michigan last week Jarrett Patterson is the guy at Buffalo who set all kinds of records running for a million yards he's got 18 touchdowns on the year and he'll be looking to stamp his authority on this game again um, you know they they don't have a, a particularly proficient or elite passing game the buffs but I think they can get this one done yeah, absolutely. They're red-hot favourites in this one. Uh, two touchdown favourites. Both teams are coming in on five-game win streaks. So Buffalo undefeated on the year. Ball State dropped their opener and then have gone untouched since then. Uh, they're trying to secure Ball State. This is their first MAC championship since 1996. Ooh. But it's going to be tough sledding. This uh, Buffalo team, as you mentioned, have been super successful at running the ball. Jarrett Patterson is that bloke that everyone knows about because he put up 15 touchdowns in a game or whatever it was. <laughs> that, yeah. that, well, they're going that for 300 and nearly 350 yards a game on the ground. And their last four, or last five, their, their five scores from this year have been 56 points, 70 points, 42, 42, and 49 points. So they know how to find the end zone. Exactly right. Uh, I mean, on, on the flip side, Ball State gave up over 210 yards rushing last week to Western Michigan. That's not the form you want to be bringing into a, a team like Buffalo. They have beaten every team by more than 20 points this year. Not Buffalo only are they winning, yeah. the, the Buffalo are trashing teams. So I think that continues. They win mm. this one. They... It'll be around that two-touchdown score, but they're going to get it done and they're going to take home the conference championship. Where is that? And what, are, what are you getting there? About two touchdowns at the moment, yep. is that right? Yep. For... Yeah, yeah. Two touchdowns. Okay, let us keep cruising through the Mountain West. I'm gonna, I actually am going to watch this one because Spartan Up, San Jose State, for the first time in their history are going to a conference championship game. So a bit like Iowa State, you just want them to have a good one. You want the kids to enjoy it. You want them to let it all hang out, have a crack. And then likewise, this is almost like the uh, group of fives version of the Big 12 championship. San Jose State there for the first time. Boise State there who just rock up every year, punch their ticket to the Mountain West Championship annually. So what's going to happen? I think you're going to see... You know, a little bit of the same sort of stuff. San Jose State can run, uh, sorry, can stop the run defensively. 
a little bit like Iowa State. Um, but Boise will probably want to pass the ball a little bit more anyway with ha- with Hank Backmeyer at quarterback. I think Boise State win. Um, the only way this goes the way of Sparty, I think, is if it gets a bit shootouty. I think both both teams defensively are giving, giving up less than 20 points a game. In fact, both less than 18 points a game this year. But I think they want to shoot out. And that way, uh, you know, you're not relying on those defense. You're li- relying on the high-scoring offenses. And can you get a turnover? Can you create some sort of funky play? But I think if it goes kind of uh, as uh, to script, I suppose, with, you know, Boise State controlling the clock and, and running their sort of pro style type offense, then I, I think they'll probably get it done. Yeah, okay. I think there's been a few things this year that we've noticed. Like, it's been an unusual year, safe to say. Has it? We've had Penn State going 0-6 or whatever it was for the first time in history. Uh, We had Nebraska doing something similar. There's been a number of long streaks. uh, Oklahoma, Iowa State, uh, and that first matchup that they had. Oklahoma losing in that one. First time Mm -hmm. in Ames in forever. whole bunch of those sorts of stats. And I'm predicting in this game, that trend to continue. So Boise State, 13-0 and all-time San Jose. Never lost to them. Never lost to them. San Jose State never made it in. It's never happened. Mm-hmm. For mine, I think they're getting it done. I think they are riding that 2020 wave of bullshit, and they're going to fucking win this game. Now, the, the big X factor here is... The Boise State quarterback you mentioned, Hank Backmeyer, he was out that game against BYU when they got absolutely trashed. And and that was kind of the nationally televised. That's what most people have probably seen of this Boise State team. I mean, I'm saying that because that's what I've seen. I They're a completely different unit. He's a very good quarterback. But I really like the San Jose State team. I like the way that they've been tracking this year. I think that they have that right juice going for them at the moment. It's just, I, I, I like the feeling, I like the vibe, the win in this game, and they're going to take home glory. I like it. I like it. Um, the last one in the Sunbelt, Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. Now, these two teams have already played earlier this year. Coastal Carolina, that was considered an upset at the time. Uh, they kick a 30-something yard field goal at the gun to get home in this one, 30 to 27. But since then, Coastal Carolina have beaten the likes of BYU. They've beaten the likes of App State. And they have continued to roll and become the darlings of college football season 2020. But all the pressure now goes on to them. Can they finish? Can they win that Sunbelt Championship against the Louisiana team who have been cruising along themselves just nicely from that point on? Uh, I want the, the Chanticleers uh, to go and win that one. But, you know, the Raging Cajuns have... They've only dropped one this year and it was against them. I'm going to make the same argument again. It's hard to beat the same team twice, especially when they're close. But this might be the, might be the time. Grayson McCall, um, they've had a good lead in, obviously, beating um, BYU and then... You know, just getting home over Troy in a, in a bit of a look-ahead spot. And then you've got uh, Louisiana, who played App State last week. And, you know, that was in a tight one as well. So both teams are coming in, in in some highly competitive form, which is kind of what you want this time of year. You don't want to just be whooping up on teams down the down the stretch. But I still think probably the Chanticleers and their balance of run and pass... Their ability to run that kind of triple option E type stuff um, and control the clock with long methodical drives with Grayson McCall and CJ Marable. Uh, yeah, I, I can't see a reason to pick against um, the boys from wherever they're from, Myrtle Beach or somewhere nice, I hear. Yeah, look, this game is going to be a cracker. And the Sun Belt itself as a conference is at an all-time high in national perception, thanks largely to these two programs and how they've been able to elevate them this year. So Louisiana had a big-time win over Iowa State, which at the time was more, ah, uh, you shit, Big 12, than it was, way to go, Sun Belt. But that has aged well. 
It's like mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw another race horsing analogy in here, but like when you Good. when you lose a race, right? When you when your horse loses to another horse, but then that horse goes on to like a, a nice race somewhere else and wins, and you're kinda like, actually, we've done all right here. It's like sitting on the bench in LeBron James's high school basketball team. Like, yeah. Mm. I contributed it, something. I'm part of his success. No, it's 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 just saying that your form is good. It stacks up. Oh, and okay. Louisiana beating what may be a Big 12 champ is all that more impressive than if they had have played, say, LSU. Um, now, Coastal Carolina, on the other hand, have just been taken on the media storm and feeding off of it. Like, they've been creating memes and all of that shit, and they love it. And it's generated its own little atmosphere, and I love that. And and they are really thriving on that. So this one here has all the hallmarks of a classic in the Sun Belt. If you're a Sun Belt fan, then I'm sure you're rock hard about this. I... I think it could go either way. Like I, I would tend to take the points in this one. So Coastal Carolina are four-point favourites going into it. I would take Louisiana plus four just because I think it's going to be crazy and come down to a kick or, or something close down the stretch. So for mine, I'm leading Louisiana. Big Reese Burns fan as the punter there. Good Aussie lad. So mm. I will go Raging Cajuns, but oof, this one could be good fun. All right. Are there any other games? Because there, it, this, normally championship weekend, it would just be the championship games. But there are other games on. Are there any that interest you specifically, or f- that you would watch ahead of any of these championship games? My answer to that would be no. But yeah, no, not in the slightest. If if you're not dialing into <laughs> these championship games, then yeah, I don't want to hear about it. All right, championship draft time. So we've only got two picks left on the season. Quickly give us a money situation. Who's leading and by how much? Okay, so uh, as it stands, I currently have a full kitty of $64. So I have a dollar in the bank. I have $63 worth of uh teams i suppose my money makers at the moment oklahoma usc alabama tulsa and texas uh on your side you're four dollars behind at the moment so you're at sixty dollars uh you have a dollar in the bank and your money makers are clemson ohio state unc who had a big jump this week on an impressive performance buffalo and san jose state Okay, and then I've got a whole heap in the next ones out. So a lot of those teams don't play, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. Okay, I'm picking first, so I'm going to take a freebie, and I'm taking Boise State to upset San Jose State. Um, bit of a hedge losing... here, isn't it? Sorry? It's a bit of a hedge here. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've got San Jose State, but they're sitting at number 25. I think if Boise State win, they're likely to jump up higher than that anyway. So yeah, I'll... I'll try and turn another freebie into some money, which has sort of been my game plan this year since I purchased Clemson early. Okay. Now I'm going to, I've been playing, you've been much more risk adverse at this game. The I whole ha- well, not We've- to like, just kind of played out that way. I didn't actually mean for that to happen, but I'd never had enough cash to get aggressive in the, uh, in the middle of, of the top 25 poll, which is something that you did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I'm going to continue that, and I like that we've kind of ended up so close and taken very different paths. But I'm going to sell uh, Tulsa. So they're going up against Cincinnati. I don't like their chances there. So I'm going to jump off of that one uh, for 6 bucks. So that's going to take my total to $7. And who's who's currently available for $7? Who's going who's gonna to be the team to break your heart? If there's any team well, that can do it. Is this a rhetorical question? Or? If there's any team that can break your heart, who is it? Florida. Your own Miami Hurricanes. $7. Bring them on board. I'm grabbing the Hurricanes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Don't do that. You, you that buy you buy stocks when they bottom out, my friend. And that is where Miami is. They've been a good team. Yes, they had an awful mm. result last week. Mm. But I still think that they're going to get an opportunity in a decent bowl game. And that when they win that, they're going to see the full resume. They're going to be a 9-2 and two team. This is a team that could jump inside the top 12 comfortably, I think, on the back of a good bowl result. Mm. I like that. I'm buying Miami for $7. And I've got no money. Okay. Um, just some quick news here. As I've just been doing a little bit of scouring of the internet. USA Today, take what you will from it. But 
Well, I mentioned LSU allegations against their football program earlier in the week, or sorry, late last week. Um, LSU knew in 2018 that officials kept allegations against athletes in-house and did nothing about it, which is not the first time that has happened in college football. The details of this at this stage are speculative at best, but there's clearly some more movement around here. It's gone more than just rumors um, centered around sexual misconduct Um but so it's no longer be... just rumours. We also have innuendo. Good. Um, and some violation of Title Eleven policies. Uh, I won't go into the details of what that is, but there are law firms involved. There's investigators involved um, and a lack of disciplinary action. So we will see what comes of this. Very difficult to prove at this point. And... Um, but it looks like it goes potentially um, pretty high up. All right, mate. So, let's keep this going. Let's give the people sorry, what sorry, they sorry. want. We're, we're right here. You know what it is. <laughs> okay. What are we getting with? Bold prediction time. That's Is that why you're excited? Oh, I forgot we had to do those. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll go quick. Uh, my bold prediction, airing it out in the Power 5, Confer- uh, Power Five Championship games. In fact... In all 10 championship games across Power 5 and Group 5, we won't have a single 100-yard rusher as an individual across all 10 games. That's nuts. Definitely not going to happen, but I like it. Uh, Mine is... I haven't named it. Wow, I really have forgotten and neglected my... uh, It's it's, it's Heisman. Like, I've got... (laughs) This is so shit. What are you doing? Devonta Smith is going to go off He's going to score three touchdowns. He's going to go for over 200 yards, and he's going to win the Heisman Trophy on the back of this performance. He is going to be the guy to win the Heisman, not Mac Jones on the back of the SEC Championship. Um, So what are you calling that? Three touchdowns, 200 yards, and a Heisman Heisman Trophy. (laughs) Sounds like the 12 days of Christmas, the three. I don't know. There's something there. We could have workshopped that, but you fucked up. All right, let's head to the real bottom of the barrel of our championship here comes the money here we go preview episode so here we here go here comes the money, money talk us talk us through how much money you're going to lose this week Will. it is more than usual it's a yeah, bumper good. it's a bumper <laughs> week because we're desperation desperation times yeah you got to so swing you got to start swinging i have decided i'm going to kill a couple of birds with a couple of stones uh, lots of saying, stones. But yeah. <laughs> lots of stones. Maybe two birds will get. Not hit. many birds. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on every one of the games that we have not touched on. So I'm gonna enlighten Good. you guys around what's gonna happen here. I'm gonna put a unit on each of them, and I'm gonna get them all right. So some of them are gonna win outright. Some of them are at the the line. But we're gonna put a one unit on each of them, and then we're also gonna multi it up. Just a. I've, <laughs> How many games are there? 58 and a half units uh, is what 58 the, and a half units? Is what the multi will be worth. If, if they all hit. If we can hit. So um, How many games? How many games are there? Uh, I believe it's 12. Okay. 12 additional games. So let's, let's start from the top because that is often the best place to do that. <laughs> Rutgers are going to knock off Nebraska. Bang. Two bucks 90 for them to do that. I like it. They've got it. Uh, I'm taking Florida State plus the points against Wake Forest. So they're on the road at Wake. Wake aren't that good. But we get six and a half points. So take Florida State there. Uh, we're taking Texas A&M to beat Tennessee. So they're going to win. Uh, it's only $1.20, but it's going to happen. Oh, no. uh, Utah are going to beat Washington State. $1.28 there. Utah you- at home. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Army are going to beat Air Force so they're the underdogs in this one but they will win I like this Army team Jeff Munkin's a good coach he's got them travelling well I think that they win this one and then continue their victory over the other members of the armed forces uh, I'm going to take Missouri on the road against Mississippi State so they'll win that one heads up it's like a pick em at the moment yeah. ninety. Uh, we're taking LSU to beat Mississippi, so they're going to continue to roll from their hot form last week. They're $2.10 underdogs at home. I think they win that game. I, I like it. I'm crashing back down to earth. 
Okay. Uh, we've got Wisconsin and Minnesota going head-to-head. I think Wisconsin will win. Uh, they have been pretty garbage the last few weeks, but Minnesota's defense is someone that you want to be able to play against if you're looking to get back into form. So it's only $1.25. I like them there. Uh, we've got Penn State beating Illinois at home, so $1.18 there. I've got UCLA to knock over Stanford at home, $1.38. like that one there. Taking Maryland to beat Michigan State at home. Uh, and then I'm going to finish this all with your Oregon State Beavers. I'm taking the 7.5 points here because Arizona State are sneaky good. But this game is being played in Corvallis. Oregon State are handy unit this year. So we're putting a unit there. So all of those 12, 12 selections, 12 units bet there. Then we're putting one on a lot of them. And when that gets in, we're laughing. Paul Bunyan's axe. I thought... I must have mentioned that Nebraska-Minnesota was Paul Bunyan's axe last week, but it's, of course, Minnesota-Wisconsin, one of the great rivalries in college football. Yeah, that was one that we said hadn't been played in like 120 years, and then it got pulled, but they've obviously found a way to get it back in, which is fantastic news. Well done. All right, that brings us to the end of our championship preview episode. As always, make sure you do please join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CFB Down Under. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review. Come and have a chat and talk all things college football. It is going to be a big, big weekend, which will shape the entirety of what is left of college football in 2020 because it is coming to an end. This always leaves us a little bit melancholy because we are running the race, we're exhausted, we're knackered, we're rounding that final turn in the 400 where your legs are getting just falling out from underneath, you've got a gorilla on your back, but once you cross that finish line, you're like, shit, it's all over. So it is coming to an end, shit analogy by me, I do apologize, <sighs> I'm exhausted and I'm sweating a lot, it's freaking hot, maybe that's just me, anyway. I don't live up in the hills. On behalf of that guy over there, for myself, Aaron Kemp, thank you very much for joining us. My name's Aaron, that is Will, and we will see you next time.